You're listening to the Digital Void Podcast, where we explore digital culture, media, technology, and memes, featuring critical and empowering conversations with experts at the forefront of our digital moment. My name is Josh Chapdelaine, and my co-host is Dr. Jamie Cohen. The internet is transforming. Social media platforms that defined the last decade are breaking and losing influence. Tech hype cycles highlighted by scam artists and corporate coups earn the most media attention. And people are searching for digital spaces to trust, play, and express their creativity. To help explore these visions for a better internet, we brought together a world-class panel of speakers at the Meme in the Moment Festival on December 14th, 2023. It was our final festival at New York City's Caveat, where we've held the majority of our Meme in the Moment festivals since 2021. It is an incredible panel and one that we are pleased to be sharing with you here on the Digital Void podcast. Included in this panel are four speakers who share a great deal of experience and insight into our current moment. The panelists for this include Steffi Sow, an internet culture writer, most recently reporting at BuzzFeed News and Forbes, Kat Tenbarge, an award-winning tech and culture reporter for NBC News Digital, whose coverage includes platforms, influencers, celebrities, and online culture, Kelsey Russell, a media literacy content creator and full-time graduate student at Teachers College and Columbia University. And the panel is moderated by Rachel Greenspan, a writer and social media strategist based in New York. She previously was an editor on Insider's Digital Culture Desk, where she focused on right-wing extremism. Rachel, Kelsey, Kat, and Steffi bring a diverse range of perspectives about the problems plaguing the current internet and how we create a better internet moving forward. I sincerely hope that you enjoy this panel discussion as much as we did live at Caveat, and we hope that you join us for future events. Without further ado, here is the panel, Visions for a Better Internet. Okay, hi everyone. Thank you so much for being here. Very excited. Um, We're going to talk about some of the biggest problems that we see on the internet. That's a a large, vast group of problems, I'll say that. Um, I think we can all in this room agree the internet is a scary place. We've talked about it tonight. Um, I love this event because it's kind of like a lighthearted way to talk about intense and sometimes bad things. Um, and we all love the internet for, for better or for worse. Um, so first, um, I will let you all know. So no, there's no secrets here. Um, the four of us have chatted a little bit before tonight about kind of what do we think are some of these biggest problems? What are we most concerned about? What's like jumping out every day online? Um, one of the first things that really jumped out for all of us was this idea of panoptic content, which we believe was coined by BuzzFeed News. Moment of silence we love. We love your work. Um, RIP. RIP. Um, the idea of panoptic content, that is a portmanteau of panopticon and content, if you're unfamiliar. And it's really just this idea of everywhere you go, you might end up being in a piece of content somewhere because everyone is filming content everywhere all the time. Um, And that is scary and that's dangerous and that's all kinds of things that I think we all agree on are not great for society and our culture. So Kat, starting with you, when did you start to see this phenomenon in culture as something that was becoming such that we would name it, right? I think like probably 2020, these moments of these viral Karen incidents, for example, people 
getting more comfortable filming in public? What would you say over the last few years made you feel like, hmm, maybe something's going on here? When I think of Panopta content, the first thing I think about is Disney World because... (laughs) Every year, 17 million people go to Disney World. Don't ask me why I know that off the top of my head. And every single day in Disney World and Disneyland, somebody is live streaming. In fact, every single day, multiple people are live streaming. So if you go to the Disney parks in America any day of the year, there is a chance that you will end up being broadcast to thousands of people. And it kind of makes you wonder, what is the appeal of this live streaming? But the whole point of it is, Disney World is a place that not everyone can afford to go or be all the time, but there's always sort of a drive and a motivation for people to want to be there. It's an escapism. It's a fantasy. And if there's somebody with a camera in front of them recording live at the Pirates of the Caribbean ride, then you too can feel as though you're not at home. You're actually there with them. And so part of the appeal of Panopta content is absolutely just sort of the fantasy of not being where you are and instead being able to access life through a screen. But one of the many, many downsides of that is whenever I watch a Disneyland vlog, don't ask me how, how often that is. <laughs> it's often. I always look at the people in the background and I just think, how awful would that be? Like you're having a bad hair day. You don't know that you're being recorded. Uh, Maybe the people around you don't even know that you're at the park that day. And it's not up to you. You have no choice in the matter. Your face, your actions, your expressions, what you're wearing, that can be broadcast to thousands of people without your consent. And this is something that at this point in time, there's really nothing stopping anyone from doing it. There's no laws around it. I mean, maybe some, but in general, uh, there's nothing stopping people from going into a public space and recording and broadcasting to their audience. So we're at this point in time where I don't think we've reached a critical mass of individuals who have experienced consequences of this yet. But at some point, I think we're going to start having more and more experiences of people being like, I didn't know I was being recorded. Who is liable for this? If something bad happens because of this, what are we going to do about it? Yeah, just to add to that, I think it is so interesting because there's a lot of debate about is Panopta content good or bad? But I think a huge part of the reason why people are so invested in capturing strangers is at least for speaking from like an experience of color, like the carrot meltdowns, like for people of color, like that shed a huge light onto everyday experiences and transactions of racism and hatred in real time. And so I think that's a huge part of the reason why it's so fascinating and invigorating for people to just film every everything all the time. And I feel like growing up in China, I know a little bit about surveillance and just constantly being watched. <laughs> but of course, everyone has different comfort levels with how much like you want to be purveyed but I think also it's so interesting to see the way industries adjust to that particularly lifestyle content I feel like beauty standards now are so specific on online as to like how you look and how you are constantly looking like this whole idea of like clean girl and you're just always always like like ready to look on camera um, I think that is really interesting to see the impact, not only if it's good or bad, but what, how it'll affect the way, ways in which we live. 
I mean, in all honesty, I didn't even think about this concept until you sent the questions, right? Like everybody is being filmed at some certain point in time. And I can speak from Generation Z. I also feel like we were comfortable in a certain way being on camera, right? Like I remember Instagram becoming very popular when we reached about seventh and eighth grade. So as much as it is personally uncomfortable for me, this is a concept that I honestly look forward to hearing you all's responses to because it's a little freaky to me. <laughs> and I think it's something I don't try to think about is how often I am in the back of someone's video, how often is somebody in the back of mine. But I think maybe I should be more conscious of that, too. I think we should all be conscious of everything all the time. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, but it's it's so true. It's 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 spooky. And it's one of those things that I think for a long time people didn't think about very much. But live streams, for example, I mean, how many hundreds of thousands of people have been in the background of vloggers videos and live streams for for like multiple decades now. And it wasn't something that we really were concerned with until it became kind of, you know, topical as it is. I think it's particularly interesting with regards to this concept Steffi brought up of like beauty standards. And and Kat said too, you know, you're at Disneyland. I don't know how good my hair is looking that day. I didn't mean to be in a freaking vlog. I think it's interesting. I think also um, in our conversations, we've talked a lot about how beauty standards impact um, the proliferation of certain kinds of content on TikTok, for example. Um, I think one big problem we've all seen is kind of undisclosed advertising on platforms like TikTok. Um, and a lot of the time, whether disclosed or not, a lot of advertising geared toward younger people um, that's kind of prioritizing these unreasonable and unreachable beauty standards. Um, I'm wondering, everyone here on the panel, whoever wants to take it first, um, what are you seeing um, in the way of kind of this unreasonable beauty standard that's that's being set through kind of promotional lensed content on social media, uh, what kind of feels the most concerning about the way that's been evolving? Oh, I saw a crazy vlog on my feed of, so I don't know if any of you watch like K-media content or like Asian content, but like the right, sh right angle shoulders is a really big thing. So I was, this girl was talking about how like she got like her trapezius, which I know Kim Kardashian also edited out in a Instagram photo, but like the right angle shoulder and like how to get the perfect right angle shoulder. And the moment I was like, someone put a bullet in my head because I'm, I'm done. So <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> Not the traps. <laughs> There's parts of my body now that I didn't even know existed that now I have newly developed insecurities around because of TikTok trends like buckle fat. Who knew what that was five years ago? I swear to God, they just invented it so that they could create a surgery to removing bill you thousands of dollars. That's fake. That's a lie. <laughs> yeah. I have a buckle fat. <laughs> yeah, I, I often think about too more so like the capitalist mindset and the way that women's beauty has been commodified, specifically on TikTok. It's like every single time I get on there every month, there's a new trend that I am being encouraged to buy to make myself feel more beautiful. So I also, something that I have just always wondered is like, how are 14, 15, 16 year old buying these items? Like, are they telling their parents? Are they going on Amazon and buying them themselves? I also think about this is, and maybe this is just more real life, the importance of having a community that also reminds you that you are beautiful inside and out. Because I don't know, personally, as much as I can get on the internet, I have great friends, I have great family and been blessed with that. So that is what I think about with young people is who's outside of their internet and reminding them how beautiful they are and not comparing themselves to people that you have no idea who they are, what they've done to their body or anything like that. 
I will also say, I feel like I see a lot of young people who have almost like an unspoken etiquette around Panopticon content. Like, oh, is it okay if I film right now? Or like, oh, let's wait till like people are out of the shot. So I think there is some level, especially for people who have grown up on the internet are very highly aware of like how much they're being perceived. I think there is some level of like etiquette. Um, yeah. Something that happened during 2020 um, was the rate of minor facial plastic surgeries as well as medical treatments that don't really count as surgeries. Um, they've been increasing. And some of the reasons uh, that people have theorized, like one of the main reasons why people think this is, is because during 2020, people were looking at themselves in their camera all the time because they were on Zoom. And so there are actually like terminologies that were developed around this to basically describe this effect where if you're staring at yourself all the time, you're more likely to find areas that you think you can improve upon. Um, and increasingly, over the past five years, the types of people who are getting these sorts of procedures done, it's been trending younger. So you now have teenagers who are really, really concerned about the idea of anti-aging. And that's not new, but it is growing. And it's such a like mindfuck because it's like, if you're 17 years old, why are you concerned about looking old? You're literally an infant. Um, <laughs> but increasingly, these types of procedures are more available to young people as well. And when you go on TikTok, which is the platform of the evening, um, you are being exposed to tons of undisclosed and unregulated advertising. Um, I did a story about almost two years ago now uh, that involved the sort of state of undisclosed plastic surgery advertising on TikTok. And when I found out that it actually, you're not even allowed to advertise anything to do uh, with healthcare on TikTok, which shocked me because that was so much of the content that I was seeing. And hashtags for things like BBL and facelift and filler are in the billions and billions and billions of views. So it's like, what is that content? What is it actually looking like? When you click on it, some of what you're seeing is really young people explaining like the before and after of the various procedures that they're getting. And sometimes those people are actually being paid or being offered free procedures in order to post these TikToks. They're not ads, but they're basically serving the same purpose of advertising. So these platforms have created sort of rhetorical ways to avoid the responsibility by saying like, oh, well, we don't we don't allow that sort of advertising, but they actually do. It just doesn't look like what you think an ad is. I think it's interesting, too, when we talk about, like, culpability, right, of, like, oh, well, the platforms are incentivizing X, Y, and Z, and our culture is incentivizing Z, Y, and X. A lot of what we've said here about kind of particularly beauty standards and um, kind of proliferation of this promotion of people being younger and younger, needing more and more work done and more and more products to look beautiful and so on and so forth. Do we feel like this is significantly different, significantly worse um, in any way than what we know it's already been for decades, right? Like we didn't have TikTok in the 90s, but we had magazines making women feel like they had to lose more and more weight. Um, so I just I'm just curious what our thoughts are again in terms of kind of, you know, where the onus is on when we I think it's easy to point fingers for all of us and just be like, oh, well, it's the platform's fault, obviously, by because um, I think a lot of the time it is the platform's fault <laughs> for a lot of these issues, right? But I don't know, curious what how we feel that might be different or the same as it's been. You know, I think what happens is that 
Like, there's no reason I should know what this girl that I hung out with in second grade looks like right now. That I think that that's where the problem comes in is, especially when we talk about women and beauty and femininity, like all of that stuff is based in comparison. So, and that, that extends past women, but what I think is happening is that we are just comparing ourselves to too many hot people. You know, there or, or there's just absolutely no reason you need to know what certain people look like. Um, and you also have no clue what they went through to even look like that. Um, and I also think the issue is, is when we see those people, all we see is them. All we see is their face. We don't actually know what's going on. We're seeing the presenting self that they want to show to the Internet. So I think that it's always been a story of. There's a certain type of beauty, a certain type of body, a certain type of look that is always going to be elevated. But now it's just so much more of it. It's so much more in your face. I think that that's where the issue lies. And is it the platform's fault? Absolutely. But I also think at a certain point, we do have to accept that we're humans. And just like Kate said, like she came up here, we can unfollow people, right? We can mute their stories. We can do things to protect ourselves. So as much as it is the platform's fault, it's also us as humans to understand the agency we have in our own thoughts to create positive thoughts, then create positive actions. So it's a little bit of both, but we got to take some responsibility, you know, as humans too. Yeah, I definitely also think that like there are a lot of players that are to blame. I think like also the, the sort of like federal like lack of understanding of like the creator economy and like wh what impact that has and their sort of like lackluster response towards like being a check and balance towards like tech companies, I think is also like partially to blame. And there's a lot of players here. So, I mean, obviously the core part of it is like people want your money, but yeah. Another thing that I think about what you said, Rachel, about like in the 90s, we still had magazines. Something that exists today is sort of the growth of technology and the way that it can be used as a tool. It takes It's a neutral meaning. Like when we create and introduce new technologies, they're neutral. It depends on how we use them, whether they're good, bad, or typically somewhere in between. In the 90s and in the early 2000s, photoshopping and creating sort of these unrealistic beauty standards was already very commonplace and it was absolutely affecting people who consumed and viewed these types of images. But the new sort of paradigm shift that we're in now is that those tools like photoshopping and the ability to be broadcast to lots of people, this is no longer limited to people who succeeded in mainstream institutional ways. Today, anybody has the ability to broadcast themselves and anybody has the ability to edit themselves. And so part of the issue that this creates is if you see your neighbor on Instagram or someone who you went to school with 20 years ago, you may not know uh, the various editing and filters and the types of things that goes into creating that image that you see on Instagram. And so a lot of times, I think, especially when you look at younger users, but also older users who don't have that sort of tech literacy either, they don't even necessarily know that these types of technologies exist and are common and widespread. Um, so I think there's somewhat of a knowledge gap with the way technology has accelerated and become so accessible so quickly we've lagged behind in our understanding of what that technology can do. And it really impacts the way that we view the world because we're not necessarily understanding the images that we're seeing. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, also curious, uh, I feel like we all kind of naturally have come to this point um, in the last however many minutes we've been chatting of like, there are problems that, that people are observing and that are dangerous for young people and it seems like nobody's that concerned about it. And by nobody, I mean like the platforms themselves, our politicians. And so I'm wondering 
what do we think the the gap is? What is this misunderstanding where um, there are things about social media that politicians and other public figures are like saying they're very worried about, right? TikTok should be banned, et cetera, and so on and so forth. All these local news stories of like kids are doing this TikTok trend that's where they're eating some dangerous thing. And we're like, one kid did that one time. Um, <laughs> like these stories come up all the time. What do we think is this kind of almost like misconception of like what the actual problems are versus people's misunderstandings of what these problems might be. I like what you said, Kat, earlier about like the the platforms themselves are neutral in a sense of like the algorithms that are being curated or not, but how we use that as a tool as we've been talking about all night is in essence neutral. And I do think that all these things that we talk about are reflections of problems that have existed before social media, misogyny, racism, like ev- like all these things have existed, like sort of like elite, like elite companies, like draining from people, like everyday people. I think these are all things that have just kind of held up, been held up in a very comical, obvious way on social media. Um, so I do think that's like one misconception is like this is not like new or scary or like, oh, it's coming out of nowhere. Like this is just a very sometimes funny, sometimes really scary, like <laughs> like reflection of what's going on. My conspiracy theory is I feel like if everyone just owned a stand stand account, like they would immediately be way more of an active user. Because I think once you have a stand account, you sort of you you are forced to find truth, like uncover truth. <laughs> and maybe it's because you love Taylor Swift, but then you can tell immediately which bodyguard, which if the IDF is lying about <laughs> the bodyguard being Taylor's, because you're like, no, 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 no. They were immediately like, no that's not her bodyguard. We know the bodyguards. Like, that's not hers. <laughs> Wait, Steffi, can you just elaborate for those who don't know what you're referring to with this incident of the <laughs> Israeli uh, military forces claiming connections? To uh, yeah, so the IDF posted, they tried to appeal to Swifties on Twitter by saying this bodyguard has repatriated to Israel to fight for the IDF um, and he was a part of Taylor Swift's crew. Um, very dangerous game to play, uh, which I think is also a huge mis- misconception of like why, because I know Blackstone did a whole thing today about like a whole Swifty based like uh, campaign, but the Swifties were very cl- quick to clock the IDF's post and just say like, that's literally not her bodyguard. We know her entire security force and he's not on these. <laughs> he works for the arena. <laughs> they found his identity so fast. And I think if you got a stand account today, you'd be able to do that kind of sleuthing yourselves. So. <laughs> I feel like like the job, we're supposed to overestimate youth, right? We're not supposed to say that they're doomed or that their internet is bad. Like if we look generationally, there's always been an icon or an experience that youth has had. And folks older than them have been like, "Mm -mm, absolutely not. That's bad for you. Whether you want to call it the musician, whether you want to call it the drug, whatever. And you know, young people, if you tell them it's lame, it's bad, what are they going to do? Do it. Because... Honestly, they ultimately know what's the coolest thing, right? Um, And I think we also have to remember this is their internet, right? Like we're passing it down to the next generation. Um, So I think when people talk about young people on TikTok, the only expert of what is being 16-year-old, right? Like what is being a 16-year-old is a 16-year-old right now. Um, As much as I do love all of the child psychologists and all of the educators that speak for them and about them, when I a lot of times speak to teens about what is going on on TikTok, a lot of the major issues that they're facing is similar to what we all face, gossip and bullying. And there are these 
TikTok accounts where there's somebody in the school running the account and people are sending them gossip and they're posting the gossip online and it's damaging them. It's hard for them to go to school. And that's not really a new phenomenon of people talking about you and going to school and it hurts your feelings. Um, So I would say for young people, it's about working with them to find out, hey, why are you on TikTok so much? Why are you getting your news on Instagram? And a lot of times we'll find it's because the education they're receiving elsewhere isn't what they feel is needed, right? They're going to these spaces to seek information. They're not going to run away from it. And I think that it's really beautiful that we have a younger generation that is seeking education outside of traditional forms, which to me is kind of an indication that there's some issues in what is going on in education. So I don't know for young folks, I just say talk to them. Like I literally ask them the silly question of, I mean, I'm only 23. And when I run into people who are like 13, 14, I have to ask them, like, what are you even doing on Instagram? Is it lame? Is it cool? How do you make it cool again? And the more you ask them those questions, I think the more that a lot of the myths that we think are the issues with the internet, you'll realize they know that those are issues. They're avoiding them. They actively have created ways to do so. We're late. Like, you know, they they know how to do these things. Or, so I always just say overestimate youth and always approach them in a curious, like a state of curiosity and ask them what they want the future of the Internet to look like and how we can help create that. And I also would say, like, in terms of Instagram, TikTok, everybody, I mean, get young people in the room, right? Like, bring them to the table, have them make the decisions because they honestly know best for for them. Of course, it's important that, you know, that they have great role models and things like that, but they know a little bit more than we always think. All right. Everyone um, has said brilliant th- things, all three of you. Um, let's see. Let's go down. Everyone share one thought of like, if I had the keys of it, whichever big platform is kind of like you're most obsessed with personally right now, if I were in charge of this company, what's like one change you would make immediately to improve the platform uh, for users? That's such a good question. And it's so hard. I think one thing I think about a lot is that in order to change a lot of these platforms for the better, the idea goes against uh, the business model. So for example, content moderation, if we're going to increase it or if we're going to shift it, that's not going to be actually good for the business. If they were to, if YouTube, for example, um, was going to take a more active role in screening the content that appears on its platform, that would require so much manpower that they would most likely have to prevent more content from being uploaded. Like they would have to uh, reduce the amount of content that can be uploaded to YouTube so they can actually watch it beforehand and make sort of those kinds of judgment decisions. And so I don't think that any of these platforms under capitalism are going to make those sorts of proactive and good decisions. Um, And so part of what I think solution, one of the solutions that I think can exist is sort of taking a human approach to the very inhuman uh, status quo that is social media. One thing that social media does is it reacts to the already unconscious biases that we all have and it amplifies them and it scales them up. Um, So one thing that I've been looking at a lot, for example, is deepfakes and this issue where you have, it was something that Jamie talked about in his presentation. There have been high schools this school year all over the world where it's emerged as a huge problem um, where the 
predominantly male students are making sexually explicit deep fakes non-consensually of their female classmates. Um, and one thing that's really interesting about this is that a lot of times it's presented as an entirely new and novel issue, but that is not the case. Um, this has been a problem since before the internet even existed. Um, in a pre-internet age, the way that this would happen is they would take like a Playboy magazine and they would cut out the photos physically and like paste it on top. Um, and that's very unsophisticated, but still in many ways can be an effective form of sexual harassment. Um, with technology, you can amplify that practice and you can scale it up to a point where someone can do this very, very quickly um, with apps that exist that are completely free on consumer app stores. Um, so when you're looking at how to solve this problem, it's it's not something where you can just undo the Pandora's box and just close it and be like, we don't have this technology anymore. Because now that we have it, we can't unhave it. So that's the kind of problem where you have to look at it from a more human approach and kind of look at like, well, why is this happening? And in a lot of cases, it's misogyny. It's the idea that men have ownership over women's bodies and that they have an entitlement to do this to the women and girls around them. That's a more difficult problem to approach, but it's one that has always existed and will continue to exist until we approach it. And so when you look at sort of the legislation around deep fakes, it's like trying to address a problem that you can't actually stop. It has to be a more multifaceted approach that looks at it in multiple uh, different perspectives, one of which is just gender relations. It's not just a technological issue. It's also a human issue. And we can't solve these problems through technology alone. We also have to look at them with a human approach. Yeah, I definitely think like we said earlier, there's a lot of people who are culpable, not just tech companies, but the education system, the federal system. And so I think in order for any of these like issues on the platforms, it needs to be really there needs to be a better understanding from all of these players, not just one or the other. I think in the converse way of like, there is so much like hate and like horrendous shit that goes on on all these platforms. I think it is so wonderful how many communities there are that have been able to spring up. Um, this like April, I did a story on like Sunny Angels, which are like these little like naked collectible dolls, period. <laughs> Go get yourselves a Sunny Angel. They did not sponsor me, but they will bring you so much joy. They're little naked dolls with uh, fruit with little penises and little fruit and vegetable heads they're blind boxes but they're little dolls and they're de designed for 25 year old women not for children for 25 year old working women and I got to do this like wonderful story where I went up to their big fan meetup in Washington Square Park and they just like were trading all their sunny angels and the story is just like about what it means to be a woman and and how this community has really connected them and in a place where in a, in a time where like the loneliness epidemic is you know soaring for any number of reasons and uh anxiety is so high among um young people like the, these sort of like weird like niche communities like we've been talking about all night um that come up are i think su such a wonderful part and i think should be more amplified um to provide people more solace but yeah get yourself this money angel i do come from a family of entrepreneurship so i feel like my mom was like oh if i'm the ceo of instagram i know exactly what i'm gonna do <laughs> um personally i would I would honestly make a pay version for you not to have to deal with ads. I know that sounds terrible, but that's what I would do. Like, I would say, hey, if you want to pay $5 a month and not see ads, you can do that and eliminate third-party sellers. And if I had to get rid of the workforce, I would hire interns. <laughs> that's terrible. But I would literally hire probably interns
turns to actually young people to run Instagram. Um, but that probably wouldn't make a better internet. So <laughs> I don't know. That might have just been me. Like, we, we still have to make revenue. Um, and, uh, my dad's laughing. But, yeah, um, but honestly, like, that's literally what I would do is I would. I mean, I think at this point, if I had to pay for my agency over the Internet and I might do some like special edition release where maybe every month you get an opportunity to be on Instagram again, like it's 2012, 2013, maybe give people the opportunity to go back to that other version post. That's what I would do. But I probably would only want to be the CEO of Meta. Do you pay for YouTube Red? Accidentally. (laughs) (laughs) That's how they'll get you. And I do. (laughs) I do. Yeah. Amazing. Okay, well, I think we're just out of time, but thank you all so much. Am I right? Um, Yay. Thank you for being an amazing moderator, Rachel. Rachel. Thank you. Come on, Rachel. Shout out to the audience, too. Thank y'all. Amazing audience. And shout out to the crew and the staff working this event tonight. Thank you for listening to the Digital Void Podcast. Stay safe, stay healthy, and we'll see you next week.